This episode is sponsored by Oribi. Hey guys, I've got a quick question for you. How many of you are tired of using Google Analytics? I bet quite a few of you are raising your hands right now. Understanding where and why you lose site visitors before they convert is hard. With Google Analytics, you not only have to get your developers involved with coding events, but you also have to struggle through endless piles of data just to figure out what's causing your leads to drop out. Seriously, it's kind of a nightmare. Well, you'll be excited to hear that there's now a better way to analyze your website and get actionable insights. Meet Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using any code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. Finally, you'll be able to understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more. No more blind spots. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash district or use the coupon code district and get a free 14-day trial today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the top SMB SaaS player in LATAM and how to gain visibility and control over your SaaS. Today, we have our guest, Matt Cole, joining us. Matt is the CEO of Suma SaaS, a leading provider of financial management SaaS for small businesses in Latin America. Matt is passionate about empowering entrepreneurs, making education accessible for all, and conserving the environment for future generations. So a lot to talk about today, but welcome, Matt. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Thanks a lot, Akil. It's so awesome to be here with you uh, talking about one of our favorite subjects. I know we have this in common. Yeah, a lot in common. So I, I don't know if I'm considered a gringo. I might be, but you know, I've been spending most of my time here in, in Guadalajara, Mexico, um, I know, and also working in SaaS. So what, what is you, know, you as a gringo doing, as you like to call yourself? Uh, and you're also scaling an SMB SaaS company in Latin America. So if you can just share your story there and uh, where, where you are right now. Yeah, well, you know, there was no master plan, um, <laughs> but, you know, life just unfolds. And um, about five or six years ago, I was lucky enough to be involved in starting Suma. Uh, to really scale and drive um, success of small businesses in Latin America using a very simple yet powerful uh, financial management platform. So today, you know, we operate in three countries, Mexico, uh, Chile, and Argentina. Um, and it's been really awesome to be just on the forefront of all the innovation and evolution and, and rapid adoption of, of software as a service solution for, for small businesses in Latin America. I feel like we're just getting started, um, and yet there's so much more to do. Yeah, I see a lot of opportunity here. I mean, I'm I, I love kind of the ecosystem and what's what's available, but also a lot of you know risk and challenges and difficulties. But um, from from your take and your experience so far, I, I actually haven't done. I think we've done one deal or you know one SaaS company we worked with based out of Argentina. Uh, from your take, what's what's your take on the difference between you know, working in the Latin market to say the rest of the continent? Yeah, well, you know, everything in Latin, every country in Latin America is different. Um, sort of, you know, a continent, um, united by, by a common language, I guess, or two. Um, but everything is really different. And particularly as you move into the SMB space, um, you know, the regulations, um, the different, uh, legal norms, uh, customs, um, you know, ecosystems means that, um, for really to, to be valuable to a small business, um, 
the our, you know our platforms have to be hyper local, um, and so it's very different than large scale enterprise SaaS where you know you're really attending big companies, um, you know, and um, you know they all have very common needs. I'm thinking things like Salesforce or NetSuite or um, or HubSpot, you know, um, which don't really need to be localized other than translated, right? So or SAP. So you know we find that. Um, it, the, the recipe to success is how do you maintain global standards and economies of scale um, and collaboration and playbooks and yet be hyper local in every single market where we operate? That's, I mean, that seems like a challenge, right? How do you guys balance that, right? You have the, the global demand and then local at the same time. You have different variables, right. laws, working cultures, uh, you know, all, all the above, right? I mean, I, I, I yeah. can't even keep up with, with, you know, two different countries. I mean, I understand how right. challenging it would be, right? Yeah, and, and even in a large country like Mexico, you may have different, um, you know, uh, regulations and, and norms, you know, state to state or province to province in Argentina or state to state in Brazil. So, you know, every country or even Colombia. So what we found is a couple of things. Um, you know, um, you, 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 you really can't be both, right? You, you cannot be global and be local. What you really have to do is you have to be the best of both, right? And, um, and that, that means a third way, sort of a middle ground. Um, and, and we call it global DNA. And that means that everything we do, we do thinking about how it will impact our clients in one country. Um, but then also how can we expand that, um, adjusting it and localizing it to other countries? Um, and, and more than a matrix, right, of global and local, it's really like literally a hybrid, a fusion, right? Uh, um, and right, rather than trying to be both, you, you try to be one together and one being that global DNA that we're trying to build. Hmm. So if, if you see something that's working, let's say, you know, in Guadalajara, Mexico, and then you're right. comparing it to, you know, say this is working here, let's take it and let's try it in Santiago, Chile, or is that, is yeah. that how you look at it? Yeah, I mean, what, what we're building is essentially a secret sauce, right? And so mm -hmm. the ingredients of the secret sauce is, okay, what are global best practices, global standards, um, global uh, software platforms, you know, we work with, we, we run most of our company on, you know, on HubSpot, for example, on the, the for digital marketing and and, and CRM, you know, um, and then how do we then um, see what works? And then how do we adapt that to another market? Um, and that is not just copy paste, right? That comes from, um, you know, really thinking about not only the differences in the market, but the differences of where our companies are in each market are slightly different in their evolution. Um, and then the key to it is local empowerment, right? So this is not somebody in Santiago, Chile making a decision about um, you know, how we're going to go to market in, in Guadalajara, Mexico. This is actually the team in Mexico taking what has worked, um, in other markets, uh, adapting it and then running that in their own market. So it's a combination of the global standards and best practices with local empowerment and autonomy. Yeah. yeah that, that makes more sense. Um, and if, you know, what you've, you've kind of seen the differences between the different countries and what's working, what isn't working, what are the opportunities in different areas? Maybe can you share some maybe specific opportunities or maybe technologies that see, entrepreneurs in Latin America have have that uh, opportunity to expand into and get into that market? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there, it's, it's a really interesting timing right now because um, I think there's a, you know, we've seen just explosive growth of technology adoption and SaaS adoption in Latin America over the past, really over the past year and a half. Um, I mean, part of that has been driven by the pandemic, obviously. Um, but there's some other things which are going on. Uh, number one is, you know, there's a whole new generation of entrepreneurs who are starting businesses. Um, we calculate that just in Latin America, ex Brazil, there are about 2 million small businesses, which are started every year. Um, and they're started with a blank sheet, right? So they're not trying to rip out and replace some, you know, legacy on-premise software. They're starting with the best of breed tech stuff, right? And, and that 
renovation or renewal of new companies coming into market gives them an opportunity to adopt best of breed solutions right away, right? They can set up their storefront on Shopify like day one, right? Um, in fact, they don't even have a, a virtual store. I mean, uh, not, you know, they don't even have a, uh, a bricks and mortar store. They go right to the virtual store. Number two is, um, bandwidth and internet connectivity is, you know, uh, completely abundant, right? And it was always a bit of an Achilles heel, a bottleneck for Latin America, the cost, the availability. I mean, now there's fiber to home coming into, you know, many neighborhoods uh, around the capital cities of Latin America. There's great bandwidth, you know, connectivity in the business districts, and there's very readily available mobile bandwidth and, you know, basically 100% smart smartphone penetration right now in in the region. And so that bandwidth bottleneck has been opened up. And then finally, you know, um, the governments are also supporting digitalization efforts um, by making it easier to open up a business online, um, by requiring that businesses, you know, invoice electronically, by making it easier to file taxes. There's a lot of work still to do. Um, and, and but, you know, we're also seeing a lot more of that uh, happening. And so in the end, you right now, you can start a business in Latin America, literally online, have a storefront set up the same day and starting to sell and receive payments. Um, something that would have taken 180 days, you know, maybe even two or three years ago. Yeah, I don't know where you can see that that that, over, that quickness. I haven't seen that much, and, and things move a lot slower here. I know in Mexico, I think it takes at least thirty days or so to open. But maybe you can you can give a recommendation. So if I'm looking to start in in uh, you know Latin America, I want to open up a, a business here. Where where would you suggest? Where's the easy place to to get started? Yeah, I think it really depends on where you what you want to do. I mean, some companies decide they want to be regional from day one. Um, you know, um, and they're you know completely virtual, you know, they don't even have a headquarters, you know, they have um, talent all over the region. Um, you know, they're able to accept payments with credit cards, you know, international credit cards and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, other businesses are highly local. Um, I think it also depends a little bit on, on, on where you see the opportunity set, right? Um, you know, we've, we found that, um, you know, there are transversal uh, pain points throughout the region but the solutions have to be very local, right? So, um, I, you know, I think everything related to e-commerce is obviously super interesting. I think there's a huge opportunity among the underbanked and unbanked. Um, that, you know, the funding gap for small business in Latin America is over a trillion dollars. Um, and, um, you know, anything which is bringing, um, sort of solutions, services, products to the final frontier, which are small businesses in Latin America, um, or underbanked, um, you know, um, uh, consumers in Latin America. I think you know there's a blue ocean which is just ripe for um, for improvement. Okay, I want I want to compare these two scenarios because I think we have a lot of people listening in. They're SaaS founders. Either they're looking to start their first SaaS, and they're either considering, okay, maybe I set up a, a company in in Latin America, or I have an existing SaaS and maybe I want to get into the market there. So mm -hmm. maybe we'll talk about one scenario where, okay, I can go and set up. Or I already have a registered company in Delaware, which I don't know if you have. You know, set up my new bank account, or uh, you know, uh, you know, my my, my Mercury account, uh, and I, and I have everything set up, and then I can go, you know, my Stripe account and start selling uh, as a U.S. company into the Latin American market. I mean, the issue there would be, you know, obviously when if you're trying to hire local employees, uh, you know, maybe the currency exchange, and then maybe uh, you know local taxes around that. Versus, you know. If I want to say set up in Chile, because that's where I want to target and go to market there, I have to, you know, I'm going to register a company in Chile and start, you know, building out the company there. What would be kind of, you know, pros and cons of both? And I'm sure you've looked at both of those, right? Yeah, I think it really comes down to focus. You know, I think, um, 
you know, what I've seen is is companies, you know, which are which have a very niche solution, um, maybe for the U.S. market or you know another market globally, and see an opportunity to expand that very very niche solution globally, right? Um, and they've been very very successful at that, right? And you can see many examples of that, and then that niche grows over time, and it it you know it it might be a certain solution for I don't know management of you know vegetarian restaurants, right? And it's just like you know it's a super niche thing, but it's it's you know can go, um, you know, very broad. Um, and then Latin America, I think, becomes one of the theaters where you play, you know, as you play in the North American theater and the European theater and, you know, the Asian theater, African theater, you know, subcontinent theater, and, you know, you become a global company. And I think, you know, examples of that are like Slack and other things like that, right? Where, um, you know, I think the, um, the other approach is like, we're going to have a very deep, you know, sort of country-focused strategy um, and then we're just going to choose the countries and we're going to, so we're going to just first go to Brazil. And once we get Brazil figured out, then we're going to, the, the big, you know, Mark, Mexico, then we're going to get Mexico figured out. And, you know, and, and you see, you know, situations there, like, I don't know, I mean, a textbook example would be something like Uber, right? Which is super local, like San Francisco first, and then the rest of the United States and then Canada. And then it was like, okay, Europe. And, you know, and they just were hopping, you know, and I mean, I think New Bank is an example of a Latin American company that has done that, you know, Cabify is an example. You can see, you know, Kavak doing that. You can see, you know, other companies that are highly local because there's actually a physical thing you have to touch. You know, it's like a, you know, and it's very locally regulated and all of those. So, so um, mm. what I wouldn't recommend is trying to do both, right? Trying to be super niche and super local at the same time, because that's where you, you know, I think you get into trouble because it's just too hard to thread that needle. And how did you start that up? So did you start in Chile itself and then, you know, start in the Chile area and say, let's get to this level, let's get to a certain size. And we're like, okay, actually, we're getting demand from from Mexico. Maybe we should move there or Argentina or was it like, hey, let's just hit all of Latin, Latin from day one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely not that. Um, no, it was definitely no. We we really just we really saw from day one that um, there was an opportunity here to 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 establish a leading player, a regional player. And how we do that? We do that by being local. Um, uh, and so um, together with Riverwood Capital, we invested in Nuvox in 2016. Um, Nuvox was already an existing company when we when we invested in it and acquired control of Nuvox, and then expanded to Argentina. By incorporating Colpi in Argentina in 2018, and then at the tw- end of 2020, we we incorporated Bind in Mexico. So today we operate in three different markets with three different brands. Um, each of them are locally empowered with their own very strong and autonomous and entrepreneurial CEO. But then taking advantage of our global economies of scale in order to uh, scale on and accelerate growth uh, on a on a more rapid basis. Well, why did you decide to have three different brands? I'm curious, instead of keeping it all under one. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, I think what we what we've learned is that um, in our business, at least, being local is 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 really important. Um, these were already three existing companies, so um, you know, if you think about some of the more successful technology companies globally, um, you know, they actually do uh, grow by building out um, important business units that are local that are branded. So if you think about Lassian. You know, or you think about um, even you know Uber with Corner Shop and with Kareem. You know, you think about um, you know Facebook. You think about um, you know Oracle. You think about Salesforce. You think about Intuit. Um, you even think about Microsoft with LinkedIn. Um, and so, you know, we really took a page from what the most successful companies were doing, and rather than just monolithic, everything's going to be called Sumasas. 
we took a very different approach of local empowerment and maintaining our local flavor in every market. Yeah, that's that's an interesting approach. I mean, I, I see it makes sense because I mean, if there if a company is entering into to you know from Argentina into Mexico and they're like, oh, what's this you know Argentinian company doing here called Suma versus like, hey, we've got this new Mexican company. I think there's a little bit of a different perspective, right? Yeah, I try to think about it in the positive way, but there's definitely <laughs> something. There's definitely some regional rivalries which uh, also make it having sure. separate brands make it also beneficial. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you you talk about how you you know really give back and I and I appreciate that I think that's 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 very important when SaaS founders you know start doing well to give back to the ecosystem to help develop it because you know that's how how the, the kind of whole cycle works. Um, what what are you what are you doing right now you know to give back to the whole ecosystem in, in Latin America? Yeah, you know, um, I like I give back and I also view it as paying it forward. Um, you know, I think some of the most one of the most important things that happened to me in my career and one of the most fortunate things was I had a series of amazing mentors. Um, you know, from my first career, uh, at my first job at JP Morgan and then working at TPG and then, you know, at working for, you know, other, um, startups and other things, just amazing mentors. And so I really think that bond that you can form with a mentor who helps you sort of see the best in you and helps you bring out and get over fears and bring out talents and, you know, sort of, um, grow and learn. And, um, so, you know, a lot of what I try to do is investing my time. Um, and so, you know, I've been involved with Endeavor, um, you know, on and off for the last 20 years since they got started, uh, actually in 1999 as a mentor. Um, I was on the board of advisors of Endeavor Chile for a while. And I just love talking to entrepreneurs, you know, and I love, uh, hearing their stories and their passion and, and trying to, you know, I guess, um, impart some of my lessons learned so they can make, they can make, you know, they can skip all the mistakes, skip over all the mistakes that I made you know, and go and go right to their making their own mistakes, you know, um, new months, right. And then, you know, I've been involved with Mentores por Chile, which is another mentoring, um, you know, organization and also startup Chile. Um, um, and it's just, you know, and I, you know, I still take cold calls from entrepreneurs all the time. I've been doing a bit of mentoring, um, with, uh, accelerator based in Ecuador recently. You know, I love, um, talking to, to, to entrepreneurs and, and for me, it's where I get my, my biggest charge. Love it. I mean, and you know, speaking about lessons, I mean, you've you've received a lot of good lessons, and through experience, and then obviously through through mentorship, and you know, seeing a lot of different businesses. Maybe can you share some of the maybe important lessons you learned as CEO of Suma, and maybe would like to share for maybe earlier stage founders who are listening in? Yeah. Oh God, man, there's so many. I don't know. I could go on forever. <laughs> but um, no, I think you know, for, specifically about early stage founders. Um, you know, I I I do think. Um, you know, the, the cliches almost always ring true. Um, you know, some of them which come to mind are, you know, um, you know, really be, become obsessed with the problem, not with the solution. You know, I think that's like, I mean, I just see, um, the difference between a founder who's just like, there's a massive pain point. We're going to try to solve it, you know, and this is all the things and these are all versus like, this is my awesome product. Let me tell you all the great things that my product does. Like, um, I think just, you know, really become obsessed with the, with the problem. Number two is, you know, I think assembling your team, even from your day one team is really, really important. Um, you know, I see, a, still see a, the difference between a lone wolf founder who's got it all figured out, who's got this sort of like B team, you know, who just is there to, to basically execute what he or he, he or she's vision. It, that, that's very different from a, you know, a really cohesive team of co-founders with amazing hires and, um, you know, lone wolves. You know, can go a lot faster. It's just they, they usually can't go as far as, you know, um, really cohesive. Um, 
And, and then finally, um, you know, I just love bootstrap businesses. Like I think, um, particularly today, there's so much focus on raising capital and it, it's almost a full-time job. And if founders put as much time and effort in talking to customers as they did talking to investors, I bet you they'd be able to sell and actually they'd be able to postpone any fundraising that they need until they've gotten much farther along and they'd be able to raise at a much higher valuation and be able to suffer much less dilution. Um, and you look at, you know, there's been some very successful examples of bootstrap companies raising very large rounds of capital because they postponed that and they went and they, they, they drove revenues first rather than focusing on capital raising. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's, it's I think it takes almost like half of your time, right? I mean, if you're a CEO and especially in the early stages when you have to build that reputation and those relationships, you know, it's a lot of time you can be focusing in the business. A quick note from our sponsors today and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Contentfy.co, a premium podcast editing and repurposing agency for busy content creators just like you. Are you spending too much time editing your podcast and end up with no time to stay on top of also publishing, sharing, reaching new listeners, while also staying ahead of the latest podcasting trends? Don't worry, Contentfy has you covered. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing and repurposing anymore. Just record your content and they handle the rest. Contentfy is an end-to-end podcast editing and repurposing agency to help you grow your podcast by editing and repurposing quickly easily, and reliably to share all over your social networks. And if you haven't even noticed, I also use them for the SaaS District podcast. So join other busy content creators just like you and me and start saving time and money while you grow your podcast show. Visit contentfy.co to learn more today. You know, kind of shifting gears to you know, your personal background or, you know, in terms of where Sumo started, uh, maybe if you can share just a little bit of stats of where you guys in, in terms of size today and have you guys raised any outside capital, VC capital, or are you guys fully bootstrapped? Right. No. Um, well, you know, um, on the left, we actually um, are backed by Riverwood Capital. Riverwood Capital is a tech-focused um, private equity fund based in Menlo Park, California, um, with offices in New York City um, and Miami, Florida, and uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, one of the most successful private equity investors in Latin America over the last 15 years. Um, in, you know, first institutional investors in Globant, which is a New York stock exchange, you know, company based in Argentina. Um, early in investors and main backers of BTEX, which, you know, I went, did an IPO about six months ago here, um, in the United, in the United States and, and great investors in other very successful, you know, technology companies globally. Um, and, um, but, but we've been basically cash flow positive since, um, we've acquired Newbox. Um, the company is growing at about over 40% year over year, uh, cash flow positive. Um, we will end the year with around $20 million of annual recurring revenue. Uh, um, and, uh, we have more than a hundred thousand small businesses on our platform, uh, in the three countries and about 300 employees. We'll probably end up at the year around 350 employees in the three countries. That's, that's impressive. And, and what was the decision there and why you decided to, you know, work with Riverwood Capital versus just kind of doing it on your own? Yeah, no, it was funny. I mean, we had um, Riverwood and, and, and I had built another company together um, in the data center space, um, a company called Synopsys. That was, you know, an amazing uh, learning experience for me. And working with the team there was really, really amazing under the leadership of, of Leonardo Kowalski. Um, 
And then um, we began to look at this problem together. Riverwood had been mapping the SMB SaaS market in Latin America. I had actually started a small company here in Chile and was facing all the headaches of like, you know, payroll and electronic invoicing and tax returns and tax filings every month and, you know, opening a bank account and getting everything. So, you know, I had a very sort of, you know, let's say, a, you know, small and microscopic view of what was happening. They had a much broader global vision. We saw, they saw a huge, you know, blue ocean. I saw like a really difficult pain point. And, and that's when to, you know, we joined forces and, and started Suma together back in 2016. Mm, okay, so this was very early stage when you decided to do that. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, you know, speaking of kind of when you first started to where you are now, what what is what is your vision today? Maybe you know the long term goal with your business, and maybe how has that changed from you first started off? Because I feel you know I think sometimes you can keep the same, but I think a lot has happened. A lot of things you know change over time. But what would you say has changed over the time? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, you know, I have to be honest here, Akil. When, when I first started, I just wanted to make a lot of money. That was what I really wanted to do. Um, <laughs> and that has really changed. Um, you know, now I, I take this as a personal mission. Like it's almost like, a, you know, a, a, an existential cause of, of trying to power and transform millions of small businesses in Latin America to be more successful. And, uh, you know, I'm a gringo who's dedicated the last 25 years of, of my career to, to Latin America. Um, the region is, you know, just transformed tremendously. Um, but I look forward over the next 25 years and I'm like, if we can just change the inflection point of growth and success of small businesses, you know, by 1% a month over the next 25 years, like that compounding will, you know, would be the, would be the, will really be the difference and, and really make a, you know, important impact on, on the region. So, um, you know, small businesses generate more than 50% of the employment in Latin America and more than, you know, and, and 80% of them fail within the first five years of being formed or end up being plateaued. So if we can create that engine of growth and, and that flywheel of success to help it, you know, um, that, that to me will be the most important legacy that I can leave with this project. Love it. And uh, if, if you were maybe, you know, you see some opportunities all around you and you're looking to maybe rebuild a business or build a, a business from scratch today, into yep. Latin America, and maybe there's somebody listening in who maybe is looking for the next idea and is excited to get in this market. Uh, what, pro- what problem would you tackle? What do you see as a, as a good opportunity there? God, that's a that's a good question. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm probably like the, the worst person because I'm so obsessed <laughs> with our problem. I don't see any other problems other than our problem. But uh, but I would just say like you know one one advice that um I got once was like um if you see a line if you're an entrepreneur and you see a line get in the line. Right. Um, and the reason you get in the line is because you have people who are lining up, wasting their time standing in line. So like, I, you know, if you have a hard problem getting something done in Latin America and you have to like stand in line to open a bank account, you have to stand in line to get vaccinated. You have to stand in line to pay your car. Like just go get in that line and start talking to people who are in that line because not, none of them are happy to be in that line. Right. Nobody's happy to stand in line. So, so I would, I would use that if I were giving advice. Just go find a line, go find a line to stand in and then figure out what, what you can do to cut that line down to zero. Basically. That's, that's, that's a very good advice. I mean, the two things that come to mind are, you know, banks and, and government here. So I think any of those two that you can touch, I think lots of inefficiency there's that, that can be capitalized. Yeah. On. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, what are, what are some of the greatest challenges, uh, you know, that, that keeps you up at night maybe these days as being a CEO and leader at, at Suma? Yeah, well, I, you know, one, two things, right? I think about my own limitations. Um, and so that keeps me up a lot. My own sort of, 
fears and, you know, failure and, um, and lack of skills. And I've never, you know, done anything like this before. I don't have all the answers. I'm just trying to think of the right questions. Um, I've been working with a couple of great, uh, executive coaches. I'm, I'm such a bad CEO. I have two executive coaches. That's how bad I am. So, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one thing. And I think that's something we all, we all struggle with. And so I'm convinced the organization moves at the speed of the CEO. Um, and the CEO has to be growing faster than the organization. So I'm focused on how do I move faster and how do I grow faster? And that, that keeps me up a light. Um, sometimes I'm just re- listening to podcasts. In fact, I listened to a couple of your podcasts that were oh, awesome. Cool. So, um, yeah. Thank you. And, um, yeah. And, um, and then the other thing that keeps me up at night is, um, is, you know, sort of, should we be doing fewer things, right? Sometimes I feel like, we have so many things on our plate as a company. We have three business units, 300 people working on, you know, and sometimes I feel like as a CEO, my job is to be actually pruning and, and taking things away rather than adding them to the plate. Um, and that's, it's a, it's one of my weaknesses. It's like every time we have a Monday meeting, it's like, I've got to think about another idea to add. And it's like, what, 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 what can we be taking away? What can we be taking off people's plates? What can we be taking off of this thing? So that we can just focus on one thing and do that one thing incredibly, incredibly well. So I'm always thinking about, you know, what can we be taking away um, rather than what, what, what can we, and, and how do we get the organization just focused on one single thing to drive our success? Yeah. Yeah. Gary Keller. And the one thing that that's, that's, that, that's, that book stays true even to today, right? And yep. you have to always reinforce it's so simple, but so effective. <laughs> yep. Um, I want to ask a question around that. You know, you mentioned you have two executive coaches. So this has been something that's been, you know, I've been, I've been contemplating over the last few months and or actually years and still haven't pulled the trigger yet, but, you know, keep hearing how, how effective it is and how helpful it is. Yeah. Um, usually because I'm pretty self-disciplined, but I know there's, you know, there's also you know, little cracks that people can point out. And uh, wh- when did you make the decision maybe to get the first one? And what, maybe if you could share any, any advice of, you know, whether myself or other people considering it, what, what did you look for and say, okay, this is the right person for me and it just clicked and I'm ready to move forward. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I was a super skeptic of, of, of CEO coaches. Um, mm. and in fact, um, I had actually had the opportunity to use a couple and I, you know, I turned it down basically, um, partly out of ego, partly out of pride, um, <laughs> partly out of cost, probably. Um, True. cause I was like, if you need a coach, then it must be you're not doing your job well. Right. It's like the typical thing. Right. Um, right. and then it was actually an intervention from my team who came to me last October, actually. And they were like, you need a coach. And let me tell you why. <laughs> let me, and, <laughs> so it wasn't even my idea, right? And um and and it was amazing. Um and um you know that was really helpful just on like basic leadership skills, how to transition from being, you know, a highly sort of, you know, hands-on micromanager, you know, not trusting, you know, tech, you know, very much down in the weeds to transform into being, you know, more of a chief chief vision officer rather than, you know, a chief operating officer and and moving on that continuum and um, and, and so I worked at the team from Leap Consulting, um, based here in Santiago, Chile. Um, and, you know, that just was an amazing experience for me. And, you know, um, recently had my last session with Janine only a couple of weeks ago. And, and it was just like a really amazing experience. Um, and, um, and then, um, you know, and so that was much more around leadership. And then I started working with the new coach, um, much more around sort of the basic building blocks of growth of SaaS companies and how do we continue to, to grow at the same price because every day, every month the bar just gets higher and higher and higher. And that's how I need to grow as a CEO. And, and that's been great. We've just done two sessions together over the past month. Um, and, um, you know, that's just been awesome to learn just like 
core competencies of scale up, um, you know, being a scale up CEO and moving from startup CEO to scale up CEO. Um, but if you, if you don't think you need a coach, that's a good sign you probably do. Mm. <laughs> so me, I'm thinking I need one. I don't know if what that means. But, <laughs> but if, you know, if anybody is listening in and, and has a recommendation or somebody in mind who they can recommend, I'd, I'd, you know, happy to, you know, please send it my way. I'll be happy to chat with them and see if it's a good fit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Matt, what's, uh, you know, one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell your maybe say 25 year old self today based on what you know today? Man. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, I'm, it's funny because this is, I, I don't think there's, I, I think this is a really strange question. And the reason I say is, I think that you actually, it doesn't matter what you say to a 25 year old, they're still going to make all the mistakes. <laughs> like, like you have to, you have to fail and then reflect in order to grow. Um, and the question, I guess the, the question is how fast can you fail and how quickly can you grow? Right. So, um, and I guess what, what took me forever to get over was fear of failing. I would almost like rather not try or like put the bar so low so that I was sure. Cause I was just so fear of failing in front of my peers, in front of my, you know, I don't know, in front of my bosses, in front of, you know, investors, in front of like, you know, and, and that like getting over that is, was so important. Um, and, um, so maybe that would be something like, don't be afraid to fail. Um, although, mm. You know, um, and I think this changing. I think people are realizing how, you know, it's very different when I was growing, coming up at JP Morgan, which was like, do not fail. Like if you fail, you, if you make a mistake, you're out, right? That was literally the culture of JP Morgan. It's better to make no decision than it is to make the wrong decision, literally. And like, that's the opposite of what we're trying to do here at Suma. It's like, we're going to make mistakes. Let's make a decision. We don't have perfect information. We've got to do it. The quicker we make the decision, the quicker we execute, the quicker we can make a mistake, the quicker we can learn. And we got to always be learning, right? Always be learning. And so that's, that's probably what I would have told myself if I were, if I could go back in 25 years. Love it. Fail, fail fast as quickly yep. as possible. Yeah. Uh, Matt, who or what are some of the best three resources? They can be books, can be people, you know, that are mentors or people you follow who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over the, the last few years. Before yeah, coaches. <laughs> one of our one of our board members turned me on to uh, a, another podcast, Masters of Scale, uh, with Reed mm. Hoffman, which I've, yeah. I think I've listened to every single episode. It, it, it's it maybe is so cliche now, and everyone's listened to it. But at the time when I started listening to it, it's been about three or four years. It just was so it just was so inspirational. Mm. Um, in fact, it was my dream to be on a podcast. So thank you for inviting me on this podcast. I'm really excited. <laughs> I feel like you know, sort of like I'm Reed Hoffman, you know, worthy now or something like that. Um, <laughs> And then I just read another book um, by Brene Brown called Dare to Lead. Um, and it's a book which is the difference between armored leadership, where you're really buttoned up, you have all the answers, you, you know, you're protected, you know, you're really coming down on the team, you know, you're very much of like a strong, you know, person, strong CEO, and daring leadership, where you're very vulnerable, you're opening up, you still hold your team, a team accountable, but you do it in a way from a very empathetic way. And um, it was actually recommended uh, to me by one of my coaches. And it was just an amazing read. I read it recently on the plaxi flying back down here to Chile uh, recently. Um, and, and then, um, you know, what I, what I also really like to do is um, I, I love to just, um, you know, listen to any podcasts about with, with other CEOs, like um, who are, you know, I just, and, and so there's, um, there's a great podcast, you know, how I built this, um, which is really amazing. Um, there's another podcast called Acquired, which is really amazing. So when I can't sleep at night, what I usually do, it's a little lesson there, um, 
if you turn on a podcast, if you if you wake up, you know, at, at sort of 3 a.m. with the heebie-jeebies and, you know, the anxiety and the panic attack about the investor presentation, like just turn on a podcast and like literally it will transport you to a new realm. And you realize all the problems that you have as a, you know, as a leader are the same problems that all of the leaders have and you're not alone. Love it. Yeah, podcasts have been great. I mean, I have started listening to podcasts, I think, over five or six years ago. And yeah, they've been a game changer. I mean, I think yeah. it's, a, it's a platform where people just open up and they're just, they share everything. I mean, where else can you get that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can't get it at Clubhouse, I'll tell you that much. You know, you no, no, Clubhouse is just, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of pitches there happening, right? <laughs> yeah, stick, stick to podcasts for now. Stick to podcasts, exactly. <laughs> Matt, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's, you know, personally, business, financial, life? I mean, there's no right answer. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I, you know, it's funny how it all comes together, right? Um, you, you end up spending time working on a project, which is really inspiring. Um, you, you grow as a professional. You, you translate that growth into personal uh, growth as well. And, um, you know, I, I just, what I really, really, like if I could look through it, like thinking about my own obituary, right? And there's some great advice I got from one of my mentors to, you know, think about your what you want your obituary to say, you know, in the newspaper and sit down and write your own obituary. And like, um, for me, it, it comes down to fulfillment. And how do I like judge fulfillment? I will judge it by the success of the people that I've worked with and I've spent time with, the success of my, uh, of my family, of my, of my peers, you know, of our investors, of our customers, and, and each of them will define success in their own way. So I won't, I won't be defining it. Um, but if I can help them become a little more successful, a little faster in what they define as success, like that to me will be, will be success for me. Love it. Love it. That's a fantastic answer. Uh, this has been great. I really appreciate you, you jumping on the SaaS district show today. You know, continue success. Hopefully you can jump on to Masters of Scale next with Reed Hoffman. I think that'll be your next place. And do let me know when you're on that. Uh, yeah. but people listening in who want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, or maybe, you know, also check out your startup. Uh, where, where can they, where can they reach you? Where's the best yeah, place? Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, you know, so, uh, Matt Cole, um, CEO of Suma SaaS on LinkedIn. Um, I actually keep uh, an email from our business here in uh, in Chile, which is Newbox. So that's Matt M A T T dot Cole C O L E at Newbox N U B O X dot com. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate you jumping on today. Thank you, Akil. This was great conversation. Congratulations with the whole success of 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 the podcast, of Horizon Capital, everything you're doing. It's awesome to have people like you down here in Latin America helping us build a better place. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the kind words. You bet. All right. Take care. Have a great afternoon. You too. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SAS industry. If you're a SAS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.